You can be seated. Good to see you this morning. Um, I also wanted to pass along um, that uh, from Grace Community Church. Uh, they um, ran the, uh, yeah, really ran the, the Outrun Hunger uh, event around the community uh, where they raised money for uh, two uh, nonprofit organizations, Hospitality House, uh, which is here, right here in Walled Lake, um, and also Open Door, which is in Waterford. And so they raised somewhere over $13,000 uh, for that, uh, for, so they can feed, yeah. Uh, so they're, they're able to feed um, over 900 families uh, for, uh, because of that event alone. And so those of you uh, that, were, that came out and, and helped support that uh, yesterday, uh, they wanted me to pass this along to say thank you uh, to all of you that, that, that designated some time yesterday morning for that. Um, so we're, we started a series, um, really I call it Get Off the Bench, and the idea of that is just to get into the game of Christianity. Uh, it's a great game. It's exciting. Um, it's, it's thrilling. It's something that will um, change your life, transform you uh, from the inside out. And so that's what I'm, my ambition is. And so we're going to look at um, a book in the Bible called the book of James. James is the brother of Jesus. And so he, James had some pretty interesting insights into uh, his brother's life, Jesus's life. James didn't become a follower of Jesus um, until after um, he saw his brother alive. Um, so just to kind of gives you a good idea. I, I always liken it to the fact that I think that my siblings are still weirded out by the fact that I'm a pastor. Like they're still trying to accept that I'm a pastor. They know too much of my past. They grew up with me. They lived in the same house as me. And so the fact that I'm sharing, you know, with you today is sort of like, I think they're still working through that a little bit. Uh, but so imagine claiming to be the son of God and living in the house with Jesus. And so James was, didn't really buy it until, and really this is the, you know, sort of the foundation of Christianity. James didn't really buy it until he saw that his brother died on a cross. And then after three days, he saw him again alive. And so that changed everything for James. And so James um, wrote uh, to a group of Christians, uh, uh, Christian Jews, that's who he's writing to. Um, and so he really, James takes an um, interesting, a different approach than maybe the Apostle Paul would take when it comes to um, the area of faith. And so that's what we're going to look at um, here for the next uh, few weeks. And so um, this week I had a birthday. Um, yeah, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I look older than I am. I'll just say that. Um, so my kids, um, this is, you know, again, it was, it's one of those things when it comes to your birthday you, where you have to decide how generous you want to be with yourself when it comes to your kids, right? Like, what do you, and my wife's like, what do you want the kids to get you with your money, right? Like, that's what, I'm like, <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. So I said, you know what, let's just, I, I, you know, so, so she had them, or they decided to, I'm not sure how that works. Uh, they decided to, that they were going to write me um, some, some birthday cards. And so um, I just, I, on my birthday, um, I got some birthday cards. Uh, this is from my oldest son, Nathan. Um, now, at first, I thought it was from my youngest son, Andrew, <laughs> based on the look of it. And you can all come up and see him later if you want. I think it's a ba there's a couple basketballs there, I think. To Dad, from Nathan. Um, uh, yay, you are something. I don't even know what that word is. Uh, I, I don't even... Yeah, I don't even know what you're saying here. I really don't. I, 
Um, it says, happy birthday from Nathan, uh, the best kid, in parentheses. Um, happy birthday, you're the best dad ever, I love you. Uh, this is all I got you. That was what he wrote. <laughs> what it should have said was, happy birthday, dad, you're cool, uh, you're the sweetest basketball player I know, uh, you're better than me and everything, and I'm lucky to have you. That's what it should have said, uh, but it said what he, he wrote, and so I'll take it. And so and then, then I got, um, this is from my daughter, Hannah. Uh, this is just, it's just funny how they all each have their own different styles, and, and she, she wrote a, a long thing in the front here. Um, but then she did sort of an acronym with my name, Chris. Um, so she said, so the C for Chris is crazy. Uh, that's what the C. Uh, the H for Chris is hilarious. Uh, the R for Chris is responsible. And the I for Chris is incredible. And the S for Chris is so awesome. That's what, that's what my name and the way that she, so that, that was nice. That was, that was cool. So at this point, I'm starting to well up with tears now, right? And then this is from my daughter, Sarah. Um, Sarah's a little bit of my, like, she's like my artsy, creative one. And, and she drew this. I'm, I'm not really sure what this is, um, but... Maybe a flower of some, some sort, I'm not really sure. Um, so in each petal, if it's a flower, they're saying it's a flower. In each petal, it says, there's different things that it says. Uh, one, it says, hi, dad. Um, and then the other one says, you are awesome. The other, another petal says, I love you. Another petal says, you are cool. And the, another petal says, you are sweat. <laughs> and that's accurate, too. But I think what she meant to put is, you are sweet, I think is what she meant uh, to put, put there. And then this is from my son, Andrew. He's four. Uh, Andrew was, was funny. He drew um, what I think is a house on here. Uh, happy birthday, Dad. He, he did this the night before my birthday and hid it under his bed so I wouldn't find it. He was under the impression that I was wanting to go and search these cards out, and so he hid his card under the bed and even told me he hid his card under the bed <laughs> so that I wouldn't find the card. Um, he says, and so he says, happy birthday, you play cars and trucks with me. Um, I love that you play Mario with me. Um, and, and, and that's interesting to see me and him playing Super Mario Brothers uh, in our living room. And then, he, then there's a picture of a shark. I'm not really sure what the shark is um, on there. But, um, but isn't it interesting, though, that, you know, they didn't spend a dime, right? Not a dime doing this. But isn't it so, doesn't it make you so, doesn't it make you feel better, like, when your kids do that? Like, it wasn't like, they didn't spend my money to go and get me a gift. They, they took time and effort to demonstrate their love, and that's like the richest thing that you can have, isn't it? I mean, come on, we're, you know, you have a parent before, and your kids have done these things, you know, with, with you, and it just makes you feel so important. Why? Because what, what little resources they have, what little, how poor they are, they still were able to find a way to demonstrate how rich it is to be a parent or how rich it is to be in relationship with someone. And they demonstrated that through a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. 
And I'm telling you, this is what it looks like when it comes to Christianity. It doesn't matter what you can buy or how much money you have. What matters is is how much time you give, how much effort you can give to show somebody how much you love them and how, how much you care about them. This is what James's point was when he says in James chapter number two, and starting in verse number five, he says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? He says, God didn't choose people who were, you know, well off and prestigious, and he didn't choose those who were kings and and had all this authority. God chose people like you and me so that you and I can demonstrate what it means to be rich in faith and heirs, he says, and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. He says that this is the idea that, man, it doesn't matter how much, how big of a check you can write for somebody or what you can do for, how big of a check you can write in the name of God. It's about understanding that God has chosen the poor of this world. My kids had, didn't have a dime to their name. Well, my oldest son did, but he chose just to write a note anyways. And so... <laughs> But that's just another issue altogether. And so they didn't have, they, we, you know, it's not what we, you know, can offer when it comes to monetary gain, but what we can offer when it comes to maybe some time and a little bit of effort and, and creating a little bit of space to in, in contact, make contact with others. That's what God is looking for. And that's what James, the point of James is making when he talks about being rich in faith. That, it, that you can be rich and have zero dollars in a bank account. You can be rich and have, you know, n- no retirement plans at all. You can be rich and, and, and not be able to, you know, go out to eat as, you know, as much as you would like to go out to eat or, or buy as many Christmas presents this year that you would like to buy for your kids. You can still be rich in faith and that matters more to God than anything else. That's more important to God that we have a richness of our faith. So how do we have that? How do we demonstrate that? Yeah, you say, I don't have a lot to offer to the, you know, the church, or I don't have a lot to give to, you know, to, a, you know, to, to, to ministry or whatever. I don't, I'm not as talented as others, and I don't have this gift or that ability. But listen, God says there is a role that you can play. There is something that you can do within the kingdom of God as heirs of God to show that, man, you may have, you may be poor when when it comes to talents. You may be poor when it comes to gifts. You may be poor when it comes to what you can offer, you know, resource-wise, but you can be rich still in faith. And here's how you can do that. And here's what he says in verse number eight. We skip down in, in James 2, verse number eight. He says, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, According to the scriptures, you shall, and here's what the royal law is. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you are loving your neighbor as yourself, he says this, you are doing well. You are doing well. In other words, you are rich in faith. Now, you're probably asking yourself right now, why is it called the royal law? 
Well, there's a couple reasons why it's called the royal law. Why is you shall love your neighbor as yourself known as the royal law? Well, number one, or A, it's given by Jesus. It's given by King Jesus. King Jesus said, said this. King Jesus said, this is, this is what you should do. This is the, one of the greatest commandments, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. When you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you are doing well. James would say, you you are rich in faith if you simply love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it's given by Jesus. That's one reason why it's considered to be a royal law. The other reason why it's considered to be a royal law is, is B, it's the, king, it's the king over all laws. It's the most important over all the laws. It's, it's what takes precedent, precedent over all, and, and, Jew, and the Jews in the Old Testament, they had like 613 laws that they had to try and follow, that they had to try and obey, and they always would fall short. They never could attain that amount of, you know, commandment or obeying those certain, that amount of laws. And so Jesus broke it down. Jesus said, hey, listen, you know what's king over all laws? You know what's top dog over all the laws that were presented to you? He says, it's this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. It's the king over all laws. Now, this week, um, I was talking to a, a group of our kids on Wednesday night. We have an Arwana program on Wednesday night, and every Wednesday night, I get to speak to a, a, a group of kids here, and uh, we were talking about the golden rule. You know the golden rule, right? Everybody knows the golden rule. Do unto others that you would want them to do unto you, right? Do unto others that you would want them to do unto you. The golden rule. And so I asked them, I said, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? And others, kids would raise their hand. They love raising their hand. Kids would raise their hand. It says, oh, I, I want, you know, I'm going to be kind because I want people to be kind to me. I'm going to be generous because I want people to be generous to me. I'm going to be fair because I want people to be fair with me. And, and they, they, all these kids were going through and through and, and, and asking, saying different things. You know, I want to, I want to show respect because, to people because I want them to show respect to me. I want to be generous with people because I want people to be generous with me. And so all these kids were giving all these answers. It was incredible, right? Amazing. Well, I kept asking kids, like, give me an example. And one little girl is like raising her hand the whole time. She's sitting, you know, right here in the front row. And she's just, er, 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 you know, after we were given all these different examples of kind and generosity and, you know, and, and you know, being fair and, and, and all these, you know, be caring, all these different examples. She still has her hand raised. And so I said, okay, sweetie, what do you got? And I'm thinking, I can't even think of any more. I don't know what she's thinking. And she's like, um, you know, she, you know, the kids will do that. They're like, I'm still having my hand raised. And if he calls on me, I'm going to think of something. For, for about 30 seconds, which felt like 10 minutes, she's like, um, um, and she's trying to think of something to say. And finally, she gave the best answer. She said, um, um, be awesome. <laughs> and I said, yes. I was like so pumped for her because she was like trying to think of what to say, what to say. And she came up with be awesome. And I'm thinking, that's it. Like, that's what Christians should be for each other. You should be awesome to each other. Don't you think? 
Like, what, I mean, how much would things change, right, if you just decided that you were just going to be awesome to somebody, that you, you are going to treat somebody in awesomely, if that's a word, <laughs> and because you want them to treat you awesome. Like, who doesn't want to be treated awesome? Like, you, you say, what does that mean? I don't know, but you know too. You're like, I would just love somebody to be awesome to me. Wouldn't you love somebody to be awesome to you guys? Yeah. But that's it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, this is the king over all laws. I'm telling you, if you just learned that we learned to be awesome to each other, that would just change everything. And it's the king over all laws. Can you imagine if we just decided to be awesome to each other? We wouldn't need any laws. That's what he's saying. He's saying that if, if, if we as a people in society and culture just made up their mind that I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself, what would we need laws for? We wouldn't need food regulation laws. We wouldn't need traffic laws. We wouldn't need, you know, whatever you can think of as far as laws are concerned that, you know, that there's different rules and regulations and restrictions on certain things. Listen, if we decided, and that's what the church was originally meant to be, if the church decided to just be awesome to each other, we wouldn't need laws. And that's why it's a royal law, because it's king over all laws. And if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, if you are awesome to somebody, why would we need any laws? The third reason is this, why, why he called it a royal law. Doing it verifies that you are royalty. Doing it verifies that you are royalty. The Bible says that when you put your faith in Christ, that you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. And in James, in James 2.5, what we just looked at, he says that we are the heirs of the promises of God, that we are his heirs, that we are, we are, you know, his, the king, God, king of kings, Lord of lords. We are his sons and we are his daughters. And when we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, when we are just awesome to people, it demonstrates, it verifies that you and I are royalty. Now, this is easier said than done, isn't it? To love your neighbor as you love yourself. I mean, Jesus even took it up a notch. He says, you know what you should do? You know what you need to do? You need to love your enemies and pray for them. You're like, you want me to do what, Jesus? You want me to love my enemies and pray for those that persecute me? those that talk bad about me, those that talk behind my back, those that shame me, you want me to pray for them? And Jesus would say, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. That's who I want you to pray. That's who I want you to love. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for them. That's why Jesus, uh, or the, the scriptures tells us in Ephesians chapter five, talks about the relationships. He's talk, Paul's talking about relationships. And you know what, you know what Paul told husbands that they, they ought to do? that they need to love their wives. That was, that was his command. You husbands love your wife. And now, so for us, we go, well, that's, that's like an emotion, isn't it? That's like a feeling. That's like what, 
you know, just comes upon me. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sometimes, some days it's, you know, I, I can love my wife the way that I'm supposed to love my wife, and some days I can't. It's hard. And, and, and Paul would say, and Jesus would say, listen, love is an act of the will, not an affection I manufacture. Do you know that's what Christian love is? Christian love, not worldly love, not what you see in TV and movies and in Netflix or whatever you watch on your device. Love is an act of the will and not an affection I have to manufacture. That's why when Jesus talks about loving your neighbor as you love yourself, even though your neighbors are challenging to love, the people that you live with are challenging to love some days, the people that you work with are challenging to love some days, he says, listen, love is, is an act of the will. It's a demonstration. It's an action. That's what love is. Love is demonstrating something. Love is acting on something. Love is doing something for someone even when they don't deserve it or even when you don't agree with their particular choices or lifestyle. You're not letting them off the hook. You're not saying that you condone what they do, but you can still love that person. Why? Because Jesus said you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You are to treat them the way that you want to be treated by them. And it is not you telling yourself, I have to manufacture some sort of affection for them. Even though I don't like what they do, even though I don't like what they said, even though I don't like how they treated me or treated somebody else, that's not Christian love. Christian love is doing something for someone in spite of them and in spite of how you feel. That's Christian love. And so that's why when you do that and why it's a royal law, is because it verifies that you are an heir of God. Because I don't know if you knew this or not, that while you and I were still in our sin, Jesus died for us. In spite of what somebody said about Jesus or did to Jesus, the very people that put Jesus on the cross, the very people that spit on him, the very people that drove a spear in his side and nails through his hands, he loved them. He loved them. And the way that he loved them was he, he demonstrated that love, that God, the Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love is a demonstration. And when you love and when I love, it is verifies that we are his sons and we are his daughters. Are you with me? That's what he does. That's what he's telling us. And when you do that, no matter, you know, how much money you have or what you, you know, can offer to somebody, that's not the point. The point is when you do that, you are demonstrating that you are rich in faith because you're realizing, you know what? My job is not to judge. My job is to love. God's the one who judges. Are you, are you with me? That God's the one who judges. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. 
Like, I know they've hurt you. I know they've wronged you. I know they've mistreated you. But vengeance is the Lord. Your job and my job is simply to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's a royal law. Why is it a royal law? Well, because King Jesus said, and not only did he say, but he did exactly what we're to do. And it's the king over all laws. If we do this, if you and I get, get this concept in our life, and if the world gets this concept, there would be no need for any kind of laws. No need. Because we just want to be awesome to each other. And when you do this, it simply just verifies that you are an heir of the kingdom. You are. It verifies who you are in Christ. That you are his son and his daughter. It just verifies that, that message. I was... Uh, now, when Jesus is teaching this, you got to remember, this is like the basic of Christian law. Like, this is, this is the thing that Jesus said, you got to get. Like, if you don't get this, you're like, you're, you're sitting on the bench. This is essentially what he's, if you don't get this law, you, you're like, you're not in the game at all. If we can't love our neighbor as ourself. You know what it's like? It's like a basketball player who can't make a layup. And as a basketball coach, I'm telling you, if my kids aren't making layups, you know what they're going to find themselves? On the bench. It's like a football player who can't hold on to the football. If the football player keeps fumbling the ball, you know where the football player is going to find himself? On the bench. It's like a baseball player. Do I need any more examples of this, of sports examples? I, okay, okay. It's like a baseball player who can't catch a ball. If you can't catch the ball, you know where you deserve to be? On the bench. On the bench. All right, you guys are getting this. It's like a hockey player. No, okay, I don't have a hockey example. Okay, be quiet, preacher's kid. Be quiet. Um, <laughs> It's, that's what it's like. He said, listen, if you can't love your neighbor as you love yourself, you have forfeited yourself to the bench. And so this principle, simply this, this principle gets you off the bench and into the game. This says, you know what? I'm not, I can make layups. I can catch fly balls, and I can hold on to the football if I get it. I can do that. How can you do that? By simply loving someone. Loving someone. And he says, this is the basics of all Christianity. This is what it all boils down to. Jesus says the two greatest commandments. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. You mean I have to have an affection for them? Nope. That means that it's an act of the will towards them. This is the basics. One time I was uh, in Honduras, and I was preaching at some uh, churches in Honduras, and I got done and a man came up to me, 
and uh, was just broken and in tears. And, and I asked him a question. I said, I said, sir, I said, have you ever heard the gospel before? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, he says, no, but I've seen it. And he began to describe a Christian family that he knew that would care about him and love on him and, and take care of some, some needs that he had. And he just starts describing this Christian family in his community that poured their, themselves out into him. He says, no, I've never heard the gospel, but I've seen it. And then he said to me, I want it. Did you know when you love your neighbor as yourself, you demonstrate the greatest message. I, I've said this weeks ago. The message, not a message, not another message that the world has, but the message of hope that you can have in Christ Jesus, that there is grace extended to us in spite of us. When you and I don't deserve it, God showed his love to us. That's the message, and it's putting our faith and our trust and our hope and our belief in him, and you are therefore forgiven of your trespasses and your sins. Your dead spirit is now made alive in Christ Jesus, and that wasn't something that you earned or worked for. That is something that was freely offered to us. That's the message, don't you think, church? That's the message for every single person, and that's guy, guy says, you know what? I seen it demonstrated. I'm telling you, church, if you can demonstrate this, this preaches way better than I can even say. This is beyond any kind of message that I would ever be able to say or speak if you just and I just live this out. Are you with me? Okay. So James now says, okay, now here's some things for us to look at. He says, I want you to be rich in faith. I want you to be rich in faith. He says, but I want you to also, you need to be careful because you can, you know, there's some other alternatives to that. There's alternatives that, that we need to watch out for, that we need to be careful about. And the other, one of the things that he said was this, is James chapter number two, um, verses 15 to 17. So we skip down a little bit, verses 15 to 17. He says this, he's talking about faith now being rich in faith and demonstrating that by, with love. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, he says this, and one of you say to them, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, he says, if it has no works, or in other words, you can substitute that word works with love, it has no demonstration of love, is dead, being by itself. So you can have, you can say you have faith, but James is saying if you don't have works associated with that, if there's not a demonstration of love with that, your faith is dead dead. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, it says this. Can I use this for a second? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, he says, you can have a voice of an angel. You can have, speak a tongue that only the angels understand. He says, you can have this sort of 
spiritual, you know, understanding of a communicate. It's okay. It's okay. Of a communication, you know, with with you know the spiritual world that nobody else can have. But then what? He, and then he says this. But if you do not have love with that, you are a. Well, he says a going a noisy gong, but I say you are a squeaky horn. Or a, he says, clanging cymbal, but I say, a ringing bell. He says, you can have all this kind of spirituality in your life, and you can, you know, praise the name of, of Jesus and, and have all of these things, but if you don't have love attached to that, if there's not a demonstration of love or works attached to that, all you are is this. Hey, man. I know that you're going through some problems, but, you know, I hope that you get those needs taken care of. See you later. Hey, bud, I see that you have needs for some groceries, and I have some money, but I hope that somebody else fills those grocery needs for you. Isn't that annoying? Isn't that annoying? Hey, I see that you need your car fixed, and I have some mechanical abilities, but, you know, just take it to a mechanic shop over there because I really don't have time to help you out with that. That's annoying. Don't you think? Hey, I see that your kids have some clothes that, you know, I've got kids here. I had kids your age that I could maybe supply some clothes for them, but, you know, I just don't feel like digging them out of their drawers or going down to the basement or getting them out of the attic to help you out with that. So hopefully you can find some clothes for your kids. That's what it sounds like to them. You with me? I'm putting it down now. But I still got my bell. That's what it sounds like. That's dead faith. Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, I hope it works out. Oh, I don't have the time to deal with that. I don't have the time to work through that. I don't have the time to, to sort those things out for them. You, you, though you could. Come on, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes, man, there's needs that we can meet for people or at least find out what their needs are. And yet we choose to just say spiritual things like praying for you. Hope it works out. And you know what James says that is? A dead faith. It's a dead faith. Paul says it's a squeaky horn. And it's an annoying bell when they hear that. Because it is. It's dead faith. That's what it is. James goes on and says this. He says, well, you got to be careful that you don't have dead faith, that, that, you're, that you're actually doing something, you're investing in somebody and pouring your life into somebody, creating space and time and margin for somebody. Why? Jesus did that. Jesus always carved out time for people. Jesus always took things slow and at his own pace. Why? So he can be freed up to meet someone's needs so that he can love his neighbor as he loves himself. That's why he did that. 
And we ought to do the same. The other kind of faith that James shows us is a demon faith. And you're like, no, everybody's here is like, no, this isn't me for sure. Like the dead faith, he got me. Demon faith, not me. But let me show you what he means by that. He says that you believe that God is one, you are doing well, okay? So he says, you believe that God is one, you are, you are doing well. The demons also believe, and then he says this word, uses this word, and shudder. He says, just because you say, just because you think, yeah, I believe, that, I believe that God is one and he's in charge and he's the king of kings, Lord of lords. He's the creator and the authority and the maker of everything. And he says, you know what? Guess what? The demons also believe that. They also believe that. And, but not only that, but the demons shudder. What does that mean? The demons show emotion. You know, you know who handled Jesus correctly when Jesus was on earth? You know who, who, who responded to Jesus in the correct, right way when they saw Jesus walking? You know who that was? The demons. When, when a man or a woman was possessed by a demon, they were demon-possessed, when they saw Jesus coming towards them, they fell down on the ground, face to the ground, and said, Lord, don't harm us. The only ones who recognized Jesus for who Jesus really was, was the spiritual darkness, the powers and principalities and darknesses of this world infiltrated into human life. And when they saw Jesus, they responded to Jesus correctly. You are Lord. I am not. Do not harm us because you are more powerful than all of us. That's how they responded. I don't know too many of us that respond that way to Jesus' presence in our life. You are Lord. I am not. I fear you. I revere you. You are in charge. It is your story that you are telling, and I'm just a part of your story. Do not harm me because I need your protection. That's the way that they saw it. That's the way that they viewed it. And so it's this kind of faith that's like a belief and also an emotion. It's a belief, but also feeling emotionally stirred by who, who Jesus is. And listen, if you have a belief that God is one and even get emotional about it, you, you tear up thinking about what Jesus has done for you. You, you get um, you know, excited about when you hear you know, that God can do things in your life and God has a plan and a purpose for you. Listen, if that's all that it is and you have no demonstration of love for another, it's a demon kind of faith. If your works are not, you know, backed up by righteousness because that was what the demons, the demons had a belief that God, who God was. They, they understood it from an emotional level, but then, but there was no demonstration of righteousness. It was only unrighteousness. It was only harm. That's what they had. It's like, um, silly example, it's like um, Thursday night at the end of youth camp. Okay, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I have many times. It's like the teens are like 
super emotional. Like they've just, they've been preached at all week and singing songs and talking with counselors and different things. And, and then by the end of the week, they're just like a Thursday night, no matter what the message is, the kids are like in, they're, they're in pieces. They're broken. They're crying. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. They don't want to admit it, but they, that's where they are. They're just broken. They're just emotional. And then they, and then I hear things like this, I'm going to, I'm going to break up with my boyfriend when I get back. As with the girls, I'm going to, I, when, as soon as I get back, I'm, I'm, my relationship with the boyfriend is done. I, I know that it's not good, Pastor. I know that it's not healthy. And, and, the, you know, and, the, and the boys are still, or they're crying too. Like, I'm going to break up with my girlfriend when I get back. You know, I'm going to just, it's just it's this huge emotional time. My favorite one is when they come up to me and they're like, Pastor, you know, their tears running down their face. It's Thursday night. They just, you know, got challenged with the word of God. Pastor, um, I want to be a pastor. I'm going to be in the ministry. I want to do what you do. And I don't, I'm not curious. I still, I'm like, oh, that's great. That's exciting. That's what God's going to do. And then you know what happens two weeks later? They never broke up with their boyfriend. They never broke up with their girlfriend. And they don't want to be a pastor anymore. Did I just peg you guys or what? I just nailed you guys. This is demon faith. You're like, man, this is harsh. You're kind of being mean. I, they, they know I love them, and then I'm just messing around with them. And I'm not even talking about them. I'm talking about other kids. I'm not even talking about you guys. <laughs> as far as you know. But this is, the, this is the kind of faith, like, he says, listen, I, that's fine. That's great. Hey, hey, listen, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't hear me wrong. You believe that God is one, you're doing, you're doing great. And you get emotional about what Christ Jesus has done for you. That is awesome. I, we need more of that, by the way. In this room, we need more feeling and emotion and excitement and thrill and affection. There needs to be more of that in this room. But I'm telling you, listen, 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 listen. That is, I hope, happens. But if that is all that it is, hear me. If that is all that it is, it's the kind of faith that demons had. If there's no works of righteousness, if there's no demonstration of love, if there's no loving your neighbor as you love yourself, and it's all just some sort of emotional trip because of you have some sort of you know, affection for Jesus and that's good to have, but if that's all that it is and it's not tied to some sort of demonstration of love and getting messy into somebody's life and encouraging them as they're going through some struggles and to figuring out resources that you can provide for them to help them get out of a stage or a season in their life where they're really struggling, then our faith is dead. It's dead. And you can sing the songs, and I can sing the songs, and say amen to the preacher, and do our little devotional Bible studies, and we can do all that all we want. But if there's no demonstration of works in our life that demonstrates and verifies that we are sons of God, that we are daughters of God, our faith is dead or demonic. But James says, I want you to have dynamic faith. I want you to have dynamic faith. 
James gives a couple examples, and I'm just going to read this, and we're going to wrap up. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. So God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. I want you to see that you're going to obey me and trust me. And, and, and the Bible says that Abraham believed God so much. He believed God so much that even if God allowed him to drive that knife through his son, that God would raise him from the dead. That's how much faith Abraham had. But Abraham didn't just talk about his faith. He was, a, he, he was a doer of his faith. He, he worked out his faith, and he was willing to drive that knife through his son. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says that Abraham believed God and it reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. He says that you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. He says in the same way was not Rahab the harlot. I love this. If, if you have time to look into this a little bit more than what I have time to tell you right now is that James is talking to a group of Jews who sort of turned their noses against Gentiles and James is giving now an example of a Gentile. Not only did Jews turn their noses to Gentiles, but men, Jewish men, turned their noses up to women in, in their culture and, they, and now James is given an example of a Gentile woman who's not just any woman, she's a harlot. <laughs> you gotta read your Bible. It's amazing. Just the layers and the levels of this, it's incredible. And James is going, in the same way Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers. When two messengers came in to scout out the promised land, she received those messengers into her home and told the authorities that they went another way. And it was her faith in God. And you know what her faith in God was about? Her faith in God was simply this. I have heard what your God is doing and no one's stopping him. That was essentially her faith. I have heard how your God is coming in and taking over nations because I've now realized that this land is gonna be the land of the Jewish people and I'm not gonna get in the way of what a holy God is gonna do. That was her faith. And so she sent her people one way and re she received people that were not her people. faith worked out, demonstrated out of this idea, a layup in Christianity called love that you and I are meant to demonstrate. That's getting into the game. It's getting into the game. Get off the bench. Yeah, you have faith in God and who God is. That's incredible. That's great. Yeah, you have emotion. Yeah, you have affection for him. Yeah, that's great. That's amazing. Have that. But don't let that end there. You need to work this out now. You need to love people now. You need to invest in people. Carve out time for people. That's what he's looking for. 
And that's what verifies our faith. And you will be rich in faith. Rich. Question was asked to Jesus. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus' answer to him was this long parable called the, the Good Samaritan. Everybody ever heard of that story of the Good Samaritan? You've heard that story, the Good Samaritan. I don't even need to tell you the story of the Good Samaritan. But you know what the answer, the, Jesus asked a new question. You know what the new question was? To whom can I neighbor? That was his new question. And this is a question for us. To whom can I neighbor? And I hope you ask yourself that question. And it may be the person that you live next to or the cross the street from, or it may be the person that you sit next to in, in your job. It may be a family member. I don't know. It may be a stranger. Who knows? But listen, the question is, you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself every single day because I have faith, to whom can I be a neighbor? That's the question. And when you do that, you're off the bench and you're in the game. What do you say? Let's get in the game, church. What do we say about that? Father, thanks for the day. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your grace. God, it is faith, just belief in that you died for our sins and were buried and rose from the grave on the third day. That's, that's by putting our trust in you, Lord. That's what brings salvation into our life. But as a result of that salvation, as the interworkings of that salvation began to change us and transform us from the inside out, it, it, it inspires us to engage in the lives of others, to demonstrate the love that you've poured out on us and to live as an example, to not just always have to think that we need to speak the gospel, but we just live out the gospel to every single person that we come across. And it's easy for us as Christians to just hang out on the bench and enjoy what others are doing. But I, I pray, my prayer is that every single person in this room engages and wants to check into the game and is willing to just figure out who can I neighbor? Who can I be awesome to? Because I would really want somebody to be awesome to me but I'm called to find who I can be awesome to. I pray each one of us in here finds one person to neighbor. Be with each one here. Thanks for the, the time we, I, I was able to share with them. Pray to give them a great rest of the afternoon and a great week. Protect them, watch over them, guide them. And I pray, Lord, that they engage in this series of getting off the bench and what does that look like? What does that mean for me? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Good to see everyone today.